Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for worshiping with us in this online platform. Can you believe it? It's August already. Where has the time gone? Where does summer go? Well, by recent weather, at least we know that summer hasn't left us yet. But certainly, we are gearing our attention towards the new school year, which for our church as well, begins zero month across the board in children's ministry and in student ministry and in volunteers. And so there's a lot of planning and a lot of activity happening. Your prayers are certainly coveted in those areas. In addition, we're reopening. And I'm going to share more about that in a moment. Meanwhile, I'm going to highlight a few announcements from our digital bulletin. First of all, I want to congratulate our three new members who joined our congregation through the Wednesday night prayer meeting this past week. There'll be one more member candidate who will join us this coming week. So please return to the prayer meeting so that we could be there to welcome, encourage, and pray for our new members. This is such a crucial time right now for us to be connected and committed to a church family. And so please, if you're part of our church, consider how it is that you can take the next step and in committing to us through groups and teams so that you're able to run with us when we regather. If you're relatively new to our church and you want to know how you could join a group or how you can serve on a team, please email assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org. Now back to the month of August. This coming Sunday at 1 p.m., we are going to host our annual business meeting on Zoom. Members, you will be getting email communication this week with the literature and the information that you need. Please look for it in your inboxes, certainly by midweek. If you're a non-member and you're interested in attending to see what we talk about, please contact Maureen in the email in the digital bulletin. We are also hosting our second Red Cross Blood Drive on August 13th. This is a wonderful way to contribute to the needs of our community, both through our giving, but also through the presence that our church facilities has in the area. And so if you're able to give, we're looking for 15 more donors right now. Please click on the link through Red Cross and sign up. It'd be great for us to serve the community and the needs, especially during this pandemic right now with something that is simple and something that God has given us the opportunity to do. Finally, there's a new perspectives class starting middle of the month in Eastvale, and we want to help support the first 10 that are interested in taking this class. So if you are interested, please go ahead and email Galen at the email address in the digital bulletin, and we will follow up with more information. Now back to reopening. This month is when we are going to pivot towards outdoor worship, and every single week is going to be spent making sure that we are ready in our AV, in our processes, in our training, and in our decision-making, and also in our manpower to be able to both serve you who come to outdoor worship, but also continue to worship with you at home through online worship. So please be in prayer for this. More communication will be coming, whether in the form of videos, emails, and certainly as we have the opportunity to meet and gather with leaders during the week. Thank you so much for joining with us so far. I know it's been a long time, but we are committed to regather as God's people in his perfect timing. And this will happen in phases, and this will also happen in different groups. So this is the first main phase of returning. Please join us in prayer and in participation. Finally, for our prayer time today, I want to spend the time to lift up our pandemic, especially as we're in the midst of 
this continuous battle, and people certainly are dealing with struggles financially in their health and conflicts in the home and also uncertainties about the future. So I'll be praying for this in our pastoral prayer. And if along the way there are prayer requests that you would like to offer a raise, please don't hesitate to, to email us or to present it on Wednesday night or certainly go to your groups to share and certainly turn to your teams to share. Please join me now in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for this morning that we can pray together as one. Our unity comes from our identification with your son Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross to save sinners, but also to reconcile them to your household. And we thank you, Father, that all those who have professed Christ are one people and that we're able to face all the trials that come our way together. Lord, that we belong somewhere. Father, that we have a spiritual family. That we have people that will get our back in prayer and in life and can also serve us and allow us to serve with them in groups and in teams. We thank you, Father, that you made the church to be a place of refuge, a place of community, and a place of impact. And so, Father, it is then with that hope in you that we cry out to you in the midst of this pandemic. First, we want to pray, Father, for those who are suffering in their health, who are maybe dealing with certain illnesses, or maybe they're tired or weary. Maybe they're frontline workers who need to go into the field every single day and are dealing with people that are dealing with COVID. We ask God for your help and your supply. We ask for your healing and comfort. We ask God for your transcendent peace that is anchored in Christ's work for us and the power of the Holy Spirit in changing lives. God, to be able to then find hope and carry on. We do want to pray for complete healing for anyone that is sick. And we pray, Father, for you to continue to supply our needs physically. Father, we also pray, Lord, for our needs emotionally, especially in the home as there sometimes may be conflicts, our relationships with people, we might feel more disconnected. Father, as we are on a video chat platform in most of our meetings, whether at work or church with our friendships, Father, we know we miss each other. So we pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us in our hearts, in the inner man, Father, so we're able to be a blessing to others, but also when we're hurting, that we'll be able to be ministered to and encouraged by others. We look to you to supply our needs in that as well. Finally, we pray, Father, for our leaders and our government during this time, during this crisis, as they're making difficult decisions every day. Father, that you would lead and guide them. We do want to pray, Father, especially as it relates to the church reopening. Father, that you would help us to make wise decisions and that we would lead well in this process. And we want to thank you for all the hard work that the task force is putting in and the pastoral staff is invested in, and the many leaders from our congregation that are, that are stepping up right now, Father, to serve and to use their gifts and talents. And we ask, God, that you continue to mobilize and to raise us through this process to take our rightful places, using our gifts and talents, using our burdens, and using our strengths. And even in our weaknesses, that we would operate and serve to bless others out of your strength and not out of our comfort. 
And God, we pray, Lord, that through this pandemic, that you will strengthen the church, that the doors of the church, whether they are partially open, completely open, or still remaining closed in some capacity, Father, that the impact of the church will not be restrained. And we ask, God, that you would use your people to indeed be salt and light, that you would help us to be creative in ministering the gospel to strengthen the saints, but also to share the good news of Jesus to those that have not heard and those that have not repented and believed and trusted in him. And so God, we put all these things in your hands in the midst of change, in the midst of transition, in the midst of trial. And we look to you, Father, because you are greater than us. You are in control and your love is perfect for your people as well as your care for this world complete. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now I want to turn this time over to Pastor Albert, who has a special announcement for all of us to hear. Good morning, church. I have a special announcement today. Uh, I'm sad to inform you that uh, Deacon Dennis has resigned as Deacon of FCBC Walnut, effective September 2020. Uh, We are very thankful to uh, God for Dennis' faithfulness in serving as Deacon, as Sunday School teacher, as personnel committee, building committee, caring ministry, and others. He has invested 27 years in FCBC Walnut to build the Church of Jesus Christ, and we are grateful for the opportunity to have served together to advance God's kingdom. You know, we are sad to see Dennis and Susie go, but we are grateful that they can serve alongside their children in their church, Lighthouse Bible Church, where their son-in-law, Jonathan, is on staff. We pray that God will continue to uh, use them to bless others as he did in FCBC Walnut. Dennis and Susie will be missed dearly by many of us. So on August 30th Sunday worship, we will have a special prayer of blessing for them. So let us continue to journey together. Let us continue to bless them. Let us continue to journey faithfully as well for our church. Thank you. Good morning, FCBC Walnut. Welcome to our online worship service for English congregation. Before we jump into our time of preaching God's word, I want to take a moment to pray for Derek, Lily, Elise, and Ethan. Uh, Derek was one of our deacon candidates, and uh, most of you, or some of you know, that last Sunday was actually their last Sunday officially worshiping with us, as uh, Derek has had to make the move and, and to make the move with their family out of state. Uh, And this is for the purpose of Derek's job. Now, I know our worship service is broadcasted uh, on YouTube, and this is public for everyone. So uh, I I asked Derek for his blessing and his permission just to say a prayer. Uh, But a lot of the the information that a lot of you know as church family uh, won't be mentioned in this prayer. I'm going to be praying very generally for them uh, because of the public nature of, of uh, of our service being broadcasted. So if you'll allow me to, will you bow with me now as I pray a prayer of thanksgiving as well as God's blessing over uh, Derek and his family. Bow with me, please. Father, we thank you so much for our former deacon candidate, Derek, his wife, Lily, and their two children, Elise and Ethan. Lord, you have led Derek to continue with his current company uh, by making an out-of-state move. Father, we pray that you will guide the family through the transition as they have moved this week. We pray especially that you would help them to uh, cultivate and build new relationships with 
with uh, and friends up there that can uh, that they can live life with. I know that they're moving out there and, uh, and away from from their home and everybody that they've grown to love and know. Uh, and Father, we want to pray that you would help them to find a new church. We we imagine how challenging this could be, especially as uh, most churches are uh, in some type of hybrid mode or online. And so, Father, we do pray that you would find them a, a solid church family, that they can continue to worship you and continue the mission of disciple-making up where they are at. And, Father, we want to thank you for all the ways that you have used Derek and Lily to serve our church family. We will miss them. We love them. We know that this is not a, a goodbye or the end because we will continue to uh, keep contact and continue our friendship, Lord, and our partnership through the gospel. So, Lord, we just want to pray a blessing over their family. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, today we are continuing our two-part series entitled Sovereign Guidance for a Scattered Church. Sovereign Guidance for a Scattered Church. This is part two. And last week, uh, I, I gave a, an extended introduction of why we are taking these two weeks to uh, detour from our series from Ezra to talk about how to be a scattered church. How to be a church that, yes, we're working on some type of a Sunday gathering that's outdoors, but largely most of our ministries will still be a, a hybrid of online and slowly maybe smaller gatherings uh, that are outdoor and safe. Uh, but in many ways, we are a scattered church, and we've never really taken the time to talk about what it means to be a digital church, what it means to be a virtual church, how to be the church in light of being scattered. And even if we are gathering physically in backyards, if things get better with COVID, in our small groups, that would still be a scattered church for the most part. So how do we be the church? So if you missed last week's message, you can find that on our YouTube channel. But I'm just going to jump in with one more extended introduction and then bring us into God's Word itself in First Peter. But with that, I want to begin with a set of questions for you. Now, COVID-19 has changed, in many ways, our way of life. This, this is true for the non-Christian, and this is true for the Christian. And when you consider the non-Christian seeker, I'm talking about people who have had areas of their lives disturbed by COVID-19, and they are on the internet searching for answers, or they are asking Christians, possibly questions of a spiritual nature. You might even consider that maybe there are some people who grew up in a Catholic background or with a Christian background, maybe going to church as children, but at some point they realized that Christianity wasn't for them. But now because their lives are disturbed and there are questions that they have that the world cannot answer concerning health and finance, then now they are looking back and asking spiritual questions. Could it be true? And so my question is that if there are seekers searching for answers, I've given you a hint. My question is, where are they searching for these answers? Where are they most likely searching for the answers to their spiritual questions? And number two, what are some questions that they might be asking? And I think I want to use this as an introduction to lead into point number one. So first, where do most seekers go to search for questions, spiritual questions? I would put before you that you would consider that they would first and foremost go to the internet. They would be online. 
Now, I understand most churches are closed. And I know that there are some churches that have reopened. In fact, there are, there are, there are two prominent churches that have reopened without any guidelines, any social distancing, any face masks. And so, yes, there are churches that are open. And I guess potentially for certain seekers, if they really wanted to experience a full-scale church life, I suppose they could go there if they are not concerned But I I want you to consider our church. I want you to consider our culture, our demography, and the people that would, pre-COVID, walk into a church like ours. And I want you to consider where they are from. And so consider the health-conscious seeker. Where would they be looking? So sure, when there are churches with socially distanced gatherings in outdoor spaces. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to set up some type of outdoor service. But imagine a seeker or a non-Christian visitor coming for the very first time to a parking lot service in our church. One, you're greeting them. You kind of know that they're new, maybe. You're, You're six feet or more apart. You are both wearing face masks. They can't see your face And they can't see that you're smiling. You can't see them. I don't know if that's the most ideal way to have an evangelistic conversation. I'm not really sure if that is the most hospitable thing we want to do. And I'm not even sure if that's the version of the church that you would want a non-Christian seeker to see. You would want them to experience the full-scale community and the beauty of worship. And we pray that that one day would come again once COVID is put away And the Lord says the time, the time for COVID to go away is now. And vaccination is widespread and we can return to the church. But in the meantime, yes, seekers would be more than welcome to any type of hybrid church service where where things are unideal. But most likely, seekers are going to be looking online. And maybe if they're not searching, they might ask you as a Christian. And they might say, hey, do you know of an online church service that I can just watch and maybe ask some questions? And they might be looking for churches, maybe Google searching, for various topics and questions that they're going through. So if, if and, and if there's a certain church that has an online blog, an online sermon series, online platform, online prayer meetings, online uh, communication with pastors where they can ask questions, they most likely will be directed to these churches as they ask their questions. So that's my first question. Where might seekers most ideally go to find, to ask their questions, probably online? Second, what questions might they be asking? What questions might they be asking? And this is all setting up for point number one. There's a, there's a Canadian Christian leader named Carrie Newoff, and he blogs, and he speaks, and he writes about, in particular, the area of Christian leadership. And recently, he talked about five core areas of human flourishing that have been disrupted by COVID-19. Five core areas, and as a result of the disruption, there will be non-Christians searching for answers in these five particular areas. In fact, if you take a look at, at, at the PowerPoint, and you'll see that these five areas are areas that apply to you as well. Is that your life and my life, if you consider your spiritual life, your relationships, your finances, your vocation, and let's extend vocation to vocational training. So education, schools, our kids, colleges. And then number five, health, obviously. 
that all these areas have been disturbed and impacted by COVID-19. And for, for, for each of us, various areas more than others. But this is true for the non-Christians. And Newoff points out, Carrie Newoff points out that research on Google Trends reveals that each of these topics have experienced spikes in traffic since March 2020. So since the lockdown in the United States, since COVID-19 hit the U.S., these have been some of the highest uh, spikes in Google search trends, with obviously health and money being the leaders of those search searches. Why health? Because of COVID-19, being a virus and a disease. Why finances and money? Because of the economic situation that we are in. But the awesome thing, I believe, is that the gospel speaks to all five areas. Beloved, the church has answers. So, so when you consider the first two questions, where are seekers most likely searching online, on the internet? And what are their questions? These might be some of the questions that they might be exploring and seeking. And that leads to not another question, but an obvious one is that where are the churches? Where is the church? The church that has been given the stewardship of the gospel to proclaim. The gospel that does have an answer for spiritual life. The gospel that shows us that as Christians, our spiritual lives have been heavily disturbed. Our way of doing church and the importance of the gathered community has been disturbed, yet we've found a way to maintain our relationship with Jesus Christ, to do community in ways that are not favorable, but they're carrying us through. But ultimately, this is because we believe in salvation, in Jesus Christ, in spiritual things, in eternal life. We have answers. The church has answers. But, but if we tell people we're, we're, we're technically closed and we're all sitting back until our building reopens, I don't think we're stewarding the gospel that Christ has given us, especially with the technology that God has made available to us. Relationships, all of our relationships have been impacted, in particular our family life. But relationships, the distance, it's, it's driven us crazy. But we've found ways, and we're going to continue to find ways. We have answers for people. The gospel has an answer for relationships. Finances, the gospel has teaches us the purpose of money. Why money in itself is not sinful, it's just a tool, but it can be an idol. And it can be a security blanket. And how to use money, how to view money, and how to, how, to, how to see that our treasures are ultimately in heaven and in eternal investments. Yet when God puts money in our hands, what to do with it? And when he allows us to struggle with money, where we go to for hope? We have answers. Vocation, we have answers. Health, we have answers. Obviously, we know we, we know what the purpose of, of, of the physical body is for. We know that God did not create us for disease, but the, but the disease exists because of the fall of man and sin. And we know that our bodies, because we are supposed to be stewards of God's creation, we ought to take care of our health. But when we cannot control things, and when we get sick, we know that our ultimate hope is not in the healing of the physical body, but in the resurrected body. You see, we have answers for all of these things. I don't have time to get into each of it, each of these. I encourage you and your small groups to talk about it, your community groups. I encourage some of um, our church groups that are doing podcasts to address these issues uh, as devotional talks and conversations and talk about it so that you, having worked through it, can have gospel conversations with non-Christian seekers. But my point is, 
the church has never closed. Because the church is not a building, the church is people. And as long as the people of God are open, the church is open. My question is, can people find us? Will they find us? Will we find them? Will we go to where the non-Christians are to show hospitality to strangers? That leads me to point number one this morning. Point number one, point number one is the third exhortation out of four exhortations that Peter gives us. Let me kind of give you the, the entire outline of, of these two messages. Last week we began in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and you can turn there in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, where we saw in the first part of verse 7 the reason for these exhortations. And Peter, Peter is warning and exhorting his readers who are scattered, worshiping in homes, they're scattered, and they, they are experiencing some social persecution, but Nero's persecution was coming, was yet to come. Most historians believe that. And so Peter was preparing them for a greater time of persecution and a greater scattering. And so he writes to these home churches and he says, because Christ will return at any moment, the end of all things is at hand. Live as if Christ can return and will return at any moment. And last week we saw the first two exhortations, be spiritually alert, and that's for the sake of your prayers. And second, be constant in loving one another, and that's because love covers a multitude of sins. Today we are in the third exhortation, but point number one for our message today in, in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, and that is be hospitable without complaining, without grumbling. And then in verses 10 and 11, we'll see be good stewards of your spiritual gifts. So let's take those two. Point number one for today's message, be hospitable without complaining. Let me define hospitality. I invite you to, yes, I'm allowing you to do this. Don't go too far, but pull out your phones as you're watching at home and Google a definition for hospitality. Give you a moment to do that. Go ahead and do that as I'm talking. Google a definition for hospitality. Now, what is the core meaning? What is the core meaning of hospitality? To be hospitable or to show hospitality in its core meaning is to open up your home to strangers. I like that word because Peter refers to his audience as exiles, sojourners, strangers in a foreign land. This world is not your home. In fact, we were all strangers to the commonwealth of Israel and to the commonwealth of God's people and God brought us in. Only a stranger understands, empathizes with the need of other strangers for gospel-centered hospitality. It is to open up your home to strangers. But when you and I think of hospitality, we think of a secondary application, which is make your home really nice, clean it up, and open up your homes to entertain your friends. Well, that's included in the one another. That's included. But the primary meaning of hospitality is to be friendly and generous, to give a friendly and generous re reception and entertaining guests, visitors, and strangers. Now let me give you the New Testament understanding, which is not far from this. The New Testament understanding, hospitality can, yes, refer to showing mutual Christian love towards one another, through various means of service, and to show love and generosity towards one another. 
But I want you to understand uh, this idea of hospitality on two fronts. If you'll notice what it says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, this is a command where Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, which means without complaining. To understand hospitality on two fronts, first in the New Testament era, the first con- context is hospitality for the traveler. Okay. The second front is hospitality in the sense of the early church opening up their homes for gathering. And it is in the opening up of the homes that if a non-Christian wants to come to church, they're not coming to a large building. They are coming into someone's home. And in that sense, you're welcoming a stranger, a seeker, a non-Christian that's interested in learning about Jesus into your homes. Now you see what I mean with my introduction. Where are the seekers? What questions are they asking? You, you make your home really nice, right? You, you set out the refreshments. I guess that's pre-COVID, you know, and, and you get things ready to invite people in. In the same way, you want to know, where are these non-Christian seekers? Where might I find them? If they're not coming into my home because of COVID, if they're not coming into our churches because of COVID, and even if they came into our churches, if it's not the most hospitable environments because of our face masks, our distancing, and our, our hey, hi, hi, bye, okay, I can't touch you, okay, go home, right? Then where can we be most hospitable to engage in conversation? And what questions are they asking preparing our hearts to be the church that stewards the gospel, knowing that God is sending people to seek Christ now. So let me tackle this one at a time. First, in the ancient world, there were kind of inns, inns like motels. And sometimes these were shady places where it would be unbecoming, not just for a Christian, but for a family to stay at. But these were also typically unsafe. And sometimes these were the most, uh, these were, like I said, they're not wholesome places for Christ followers. So when people, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, are traveling in the foreign lands, they would depend on family, friends, and relatives to house them overnight. <clears throat> Sometimes this could potentially be a stranger or a friend of a friend. Say, you know, when you go into that town, you don't know anybody, but I have a friend, and I'm going to let them know you're coming and they can take you in. You see, in fact, in the Greco-Roman world, hospitality and showing hospitality towards strangers became a virtue. And I'm talking about a secular virtue among even the non-Christian world. So even more so, when it comes to Christians, Peter exhorts his scattered congregation of sojourners and exiles to show hospitality to other members of the extended spiritual family of Christ. Take people into your homes. Right? There's a second front where I want to camp down on. And this is where we get our theology of the church scattered. One of the places. We know in the book of Acts that they met in home churches. Yes, they gathered for worship at the synagogue, but the synagogue didn't belong to them. The synagogue was the Jewish synagogue. They would gather there for some type of corporate gathering, but most of the life of the church took place in homes. And in particular, anybody that would have a larger home would be called upon to show hospitality because they can take in more people. And we knew that the early church was growing. So I want you to see this, that the early church gathered in homes. Bap- 
Baptist and trustworthy New Testament scholar, uh, Thomas Schreiner. Tom Schreiner explains that the practice of hospitality was necessary in order for the churches to meet in various homes. Now let me repeat that one more time. Again, Thomas Schreiner is a trusted conservative New Testament scholar uh, that teaches at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he writes, quote, The practice of hospitality was necessary in order for the church to meet in various homes. Which means, if they met in various homes, again, you're taking in seekers, you're taking in strangers, people that you don't know, you're opening up your home, it's, it's going to be a mess. You're, you're running uh, children's ministry in the back in your backyard. You're having Sunday school in the, in, in the room, maybe upstairs or in the back. You're having service in the living room. Uh, your your kitchen's overrun. Yeah, what, what is that going to lead to? Grumbling. People are going to be complaining. Do I really got to do this every week? Come on, come on, Apostle Peter. Do I really got to do this? I don't know how long I can do this. Why, why, why doesn't someone else open up their home? Look, as as as, people, as more and more people are getting saved in the New Testament, more and more homes needed to be opened. And so you can understand where they're coming from. Thus, churches were meeting in homes, and this required hospitality from those with larger homes. Schreiner goes on to explain that the words, <clears throat> without grumbling, acknowledge that those who open up their homes may grow tired of the service. And hence, they are exhorted to be hospitable gladly, not caving into the temptation to begrudge their charity to others. Those are the words of Thomas Schreiner. Now, COVID-19 has changed things, right? I mean, I'm not really sure how comfortable all of you are about opening your homes right now uh, for people to come in. And I'm not sure how comfortable people are going into your homes unless you're already family members or close friends. So we got to be creative and think about, look, this command stands. We may not be gathering large gatherings in our buildings. We're going to try to do something. We're going to get something up and going, hopefully, sometime soon. But even if the building is not open, this command stands. It stands because they gathered in homes without buildings. Now, what can we do? Do some of you have large backyards? And I understand it's COVID time. So I'm not talking about strangers. That's why we got to engage the strangers, the seekers, the friends who are seeking Jesus online. But are, but if you have a large enough background, could you, if you're responsible enough, gather in your groups to watch the Sunday recording together? Uh, I can't. I don't see why not. You need to maintain social distance for your own uh, for your own wise precaution. Wear a face mask. Distance yourself six feet apart. Sit in your large backyard. Everyone pull out your own mobile device or put up a, a, a big screen. Bring a TV outside if some of you are able to host in that way. And there you have it. You have a early church expression of the church scattered. And keep in mind that many, all these churches, they're reading Peter's letter. So they didn't have technology back then. But imagine Peter today doing a recording of First Peter, and that recording being emailed to all these home churches, and these home churches gathering on Sunday morning to open the recording and to read the apostles' letter. That's probably what they did, something like that, but without the technology. Now some of you say, well, we don't have large backyards, and that's still not safe. I understand that. So is there a way that you can go to a park and show hospitality to one another? You know, so I'm talking about you're sitting in a, in a park under the shade, picnic blankets, 
more than six feet apart, open air, face masks. You're responsible for your own children and your own family. Each of you pull out your own devices, use your own mobile hotspot or your own Wi-Fi, and you watch the service there. I will say more about how groups can do this easier and in your groups, but these are some ideas of where we get the idea of a, a church scattered, an ecclesiology of the church scattered, and it's from the Bible. So we need to think creatively with COVID-19, but I get it. Why am I proposing these outdoor physical gatherings? I'm saying this because when it says be hospitable or show hospitality to one another, and when you translate that to the love between Christian brothers and sisters, I understand that this online uh, gathering thing, it, it, it's okay, but you must be getting tired. It's not the same. You see, you and I were created for community. You and I were created for meaningful relationships with each other. And those relationships were designed to be in closer proximity. And that's why we're just giving you a different option to consider. It doesn't take any organization from, from the large church program aspect. That's up to each family, each group leader to exercise your wisdom and discernment of how you would want to cultivate a better, safe environment for for gathering together and to be the church until we reopen our parking lot service, until we get that up and going, which would be also a large space comparable to a park but no shade. So you bring your own uh, umbrella or bring your own large study Bible and just put that over your head and that will cover you. My point, my, my point is we must show hospitality. So how can we do it with each other? We can look for safer, smaller places to gather in smaller groups where we can maintain wise precaution. But for those of you who aren't comfortable with that, that is why it is important that we continue to advance online ministries. But not only for those of you who are worshiping at home, which is a, a, a large percentage of you will, be, will continue to worship with you. And I told you last week we're with you. We, we, we understand and we're going to continue to move together and, and provide online ministries. But what I said about where the, the non-Christians are seeking and how we can engage them. You know, our mission board is, is, is working with uh, an organization called Indo Partners. And Indo Partners, one of the things they do is they have people here in the States online and they're just taking questions like people send through an email or chat uh, from from Indonesian Muslims that might be asking questions about Jesus and you have people just doing digital evangelism uh, I don't know how to do it I'm not a tech savvy guy I might not have the time to do it can some of you set something up like that and is there a way where we can attract by talking about the subjects that people are asking the non-Christians are asking and can we do something like that uh, I don't know. You tell me, right? You tech uh, app makers and, and uh, you technology people and, and tech field, tech industry professionals. Can we do something like that? Can we, can FCBC engage the non-Christian with questions? Can we let them know that we are here to answer their questions? And then when the time comes, we can bring them in. Right, we can bring them in into a more comfortable setting. That's point number one. Think of ways to be show hospitality first for the stranger that's seeking Jesus, and secondly for the fellow believer, your members, your own group members, your small groups, your community groups. Point number two. Point number two this morning 
is be good stewards of your spiritual gifts. Be good stewards of your spiritual gifts. Now, every believer receives spiritual gifts from God. And all of these gifts come through God's grace. They come by the power of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are divinely enabled. They are divinely enabled. They are divinely empowered. They are entrusted to us. And they are endowed upon us by God. And God enables us to do spiritual ministry by giving us these gifts. Now, Look with me at where Peter says this. I'm going to read to you 1 Peter 4.10 and verse 11. And notice in 1 Peter 4.10 it says, As each has received a gift. Stop there for a moment. Every believer has a gift. There's no one that can say, I don't have a gift. Okay, You have a gift. And I want to throw in Paul's illustration from 1 Corinthians about the body. You know, Paul talks about the body of Christ as an illustration being like a human body where there's hands and arms and eyes and ears, and each person is a different part according to their gifts. And if one person decides, I don't want to exercise that gift, I don't want to develop that gift, I don't want to utilize my gift, then the body is not complete. But the body functions when each Christian discovers their gifts, develops their gifts, gifts need to be developed and exercised, can't be taken for granted, right? So each person discovers their gifts in community, develops their gifts in community, and deploys their gifts in community. Gifts are designed to serve others, not yourselves, not ourselves. Gifts are designed to serve each other, and as a result, gifts must be exercised in community. And like I said, the church is designed for meaningful relationships. The church is designed for people to come together and and exercise their gifts toward each other. And notice where it says that. Go back in. Dive back into the text. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it. Steward it to serve what? Not yourself. One another. Even the private gifts that you have. Some of you have a, a prayer gift. You don't just pray for yourself. You pray for others. Right? Even if you're, 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 you're praying by yourself, you're praying for others. And then it says... At the end of verse 10, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let me read the whole thing to you. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A steward is someone who understands that these gifts have been given to them and there's a responsibility to invest these gifts in other people and to use it. A bad steward would either not recognize that they have a gift or to, or to uh, hoard up the gifts or to say, okay, here's a gift, I'm just going to put it on the shelf and not do anything with it, right? What is good stewardship? Good stewardship is taking what you have, investing it, developing it, and then using it for the flourishing of others and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 11. Now I want you to notice in verse 11 that Peter, he's, is, this is different from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is different from Romans. There's not a list of specific gifts and so I don't intend to get into that here because Peter doesn't. And because of time, he simply divides spiritual gifts into two large categories. He, he refers to there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Okay, speaking gifts and serving gifts, two categories. So let me read it to you. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that 
So what's the purpose of our spiritual gifts? What's the purpose of our spiritual gifts? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? A spiritual gift. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a supernatural empowerment, as we mentioned, given by God to individual believers. Now, let me give you an example of some speaking gifts. Okay? A, an example of a speaking gift would include preaching, teaching, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and then communicating it. Okay, these are examples of speaking gifts. But here's the thing about what Peter is doing. I, I don't think he's giving you a list of spiritual gifts because the way that he writes it, he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Now, this includes anybody, right? So we can't look at this and say, oh, he's just talking about the pastor and the teachers. No, he's talking about anybody who speaks, and what are you speaking? Let me help you understand what an oracle of God is. In the Old Testament, there was this word used as an oracle, an oracle of God, to refer to God's word. So whatever was already written or given. So this could be the law, the Torah. This could be the word of the prophets. The word of God were the oracles of God. So when you talk about you and I, we are all called to speak the word of God to each other. But here's where it applies beyond the pastors and teachers, is that when you consider you're in the New Testament, and at the time of Peter's writing of this epistle, the New Testament was not yet complete. The technical term is that the New Testament was not yet canonized. The Bible was not complete yet. So when Peter is thinking of the oracles of God, he, he, he's a Jew. He understands the Old Testament. He is thinking of the Old Testament scriptures established. But then when you speak the oracle, oracles of God, you are explaining the Old Testament in light of its fulfillment and application through and in Jesus Christ. So the oracles of, of God, yes, you can say the word of God, but the word of God back then, before the Bible was complete, and before the New Testament was complete, the, the word of God back then was the Old Testament, fulfilled and applied in Christ, and then all the teachings of Christ, and the gospel applied. And, and you see all of this practical teaching as the apostles began to put out their letters. But ultimately, we're talking about the gospel, right? When you're talking about the Old Testament applied and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and every one of us, beloved, are called to proclaim the gospel to each other. So whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God, if time permits, I'll give you an example of this at the end of the sermon, what it means to speak the oracles of God in Peter's context. Now, the second thing is one who serves... And these are service gifts. So service gifts are, are, are anything that, that has to do with serving, administration. Um, all, these are all gifts of serving, right? And, and actions. There are also skills that some of us have that aren't, aren't considered spiritual gifts, but they're God-given skills. Like, like the music, like technology, uh, like organization, like, like leadership is a gift. And all of these things we look at as we can use for the church and the church needs. So whoever serves, we are to serve, right, by showing mercy, helping people, uh, various helps, planning, right? And, and so, so all of these gifts serve by the strength that God supplies. Now, 
let me lean into this a little bit. Oftentimes when we have these serving gifts, the tendency is just to go to action because these are some gifts, these spiritual gifts, we also use these gifts in our workplaces. So one gift that I want to kind of hit on is administration. Administration is actually listed in the Bible as a, as a gift. And when you consider the spectrum of administration, administration includes everything from organization, planning, execution, purchasing, looking at different prices, so financial, uh, financially analyzing things, communicating, because you're organizing communication, how to distribute, how to communicate. It, it includes leadership. Leadership is a form of administration. Right? So when you consider a lot of the gifts that you guys practice in your workplace and a lot of things that the church needs to run, it's called administration. And this includes ways to serve and how to improve serve, serving, how to even deliver our content. Right? A lot of that involves administration and behind-the-scenes work and upfront work. And sometimes when it comes to administration, because we're planners and thinkers, we just, we just jump into it. But there is a reminder here that the work of God must be empowered by God. And it says, as one who serves by, not our own strength, our own ability, our, our, our own software and applications. Those are good helps. But as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So not only does the preacher need to be praying on his knees for the word of God to come out. Not only do the teachers need to be praying for the power of God as we speak. But every administrator needs to be praying for the power of God as they sit in front of their computers or in front of their, their planning devices or as they sit there with pen and paper and begin and their calendar and begin the plan. We need to be praying for the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified in who? Through Jesus Christ, right? That's the purpose. And so whoever serves according to the power that God supplies. Now, what if you don't know your spiritual gifts? What if you don't know your spiritual gifts? Here's where I encourage you. There are a couple ways that you can do this. Is that if you are in a small group or community group, it is up to your leaders, but your group can choose to do a, a study on spiritual gifts. And if you, if you uh, connect with Pastor Terrence or myself, uh, we can give you resources. We can even come in and visit your online meeting or, or, or your park gathering, and, and we can kind of give you some guidance, but each group can do this on your own, right? And you can practice. Once you discover what your gifts are, you can actually say, okay, who's good at organizing? Guess what? You're already doing this. Who's good at organizing our meetings? Who's good at taking prayer requests? Who's good at remembering to send out the prayer requests? Who's good at Whatever, and, and once COVID is over, you, you know, this whole thing changes where who's good at inviting people, uh, non-Christians to visit? Who's good at cooking and, and being hospitable in that sense? Who's good at teaching and, and studying to do the devotionals and choosing the books and talking with the pastors, right? You, you begin to see that in your groups, you see these mini micro expressions of a vibrant church. These are vibrant expressions of the larger church in smaller gatherings. But this would reflect the New Testament home church idea. And so how can you, in your groups, exercise spiritual gifts? How can you do it? Well, you can, like I said, you can discover through a study. You can develop by helping each other develop your gifts by exercising them. And then you can deploy your gifts. And when we come back together, God willing, sooner than later, we can begin to deploy our gifts through the larger Church, and that's why we have assimilation ministries. Assimilation helps you 
to find what ministry team you should be a part of. But you see what happens? You get assimilated into a group where you experience those meaningful relationships in that community life. And then you get assimilated onto a ministry team where you can, you can exercise and steward the spiritual gift and we can obey these commands. So once again, if you don't have a group, this is a shameless plug, right? Did I put it up here somewhere? If you don't have a group, you can email now assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org. If you don't have a group or a ministry team, you can email assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org. Now, it may take a little bit for us to find the open groups to plug you into. Uh, but with this preaching and with this sermon, I'm hoping that some more of the groups would have the open heart to engage strangers that are seeking and asking questions about Christ and newcomers that are coming in through our online ministries. Uh, but also for the ministry teams, uh, we need some help. So if we're going to reopen some of these parking lot services, we do need some help. If you're interested in helping, email simulation. Right, And when we come back into the church, those ministry teams, ultimately, I'm talking about post-vaccine, those ministry teams will be running full, and, and, and we'll need to do that. But that's why assimilation is such a key ministry to our church. And that's why small groups are also a, the key hub to maintaining community now. Now, let me, let me wrap up verse 11 for you. Verse 11 um, I want to talk about this mini doxology here. Doxology means to give glory and praise to God. And it says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And notice it says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is a type of doxology and praise. There's a few things I want to explain that's relevant to COVID-19. I want to explain this word dominion. Dominion. Right? The word dominion it speaks of God's supreme authority over all the universe and over his church. Dominion is the language of the kingdom. Dominion speaks of God's sovereign reign and authority, hence our title, Sovereign Guidance for a Scattered Church. The church may be scattered, but God is still sovereign. And this is a great reminder that even though the medical community and scientists are still figuring out vaccination, that God is still exercising dominion. He still has dominion. Even if the economy is hurting, even if there's natural disasters, even if there's rumors of war and warfare, God is still on his throne. Dominion. We are a part of his kingdom. And his kingdom is to be proclaimed. And that is why we have hope and fortitude. It is in his dominion, right? His everlasting dominion forever and ever. He still reigns even in the midst of COVID-19. He has ultimate dominion, not disease and not dictators, not the government, not any human institution. Who is ultimately sovereign over the church and over the world is God, and we must trust that God. And that Lord is returning at any moment. To, it is to Him, Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and Maranatha. And that leads to our big idea. And this ties in the entire unit of thought from, from chapter 4, verse 7, all the way to 11. The big idea is because Christ will return any day to gather his church, we must actively function as the body of Christ for the glory of God. Because Christ will return at any moment to gather his church, we don't know when, when that moment will be, we must live in light of his return, we must actively function 
as the body of Christ for the glory of God. We can't say, until our building reopens, we're not going to be the church. No, you are being the church now in your groups. We must continue to be the church, and we need to be the church in new and creative ways, knowing that, yes, we prefer in-person gatherings, but there are certain essential elements we explained last week that can be done both in-person or online, and right now, if it's better done online, we do it online. Now, if you will grant me five minutes. Now, I understand if some of you guys need to take a break or you need to pause this, go ahead and do so. Okay, I want to love my senior pastor well. I want to show him hospitality. And so my senior pastor, Pastor Albert, graciously has given me uh, this freedom and this liberty to preach two weeks, uh, to break away from Ezra and to spend two weeks preaching from First Peter chapter 4. And what happened was the Cantonese and the Mandarin congregations continued in Ezra, and which means when Pastor Albert comes back next week, he's stuck with the mess that I left him, which means I left him two large passages. And what I'm going to do is that, is that I'm going to allow Pastor Albert that, that, that if he wants to do some review, he, he can, but he doesn't have to. Pastor Albert can come back in here next week, and he can pick up with the rest of the church, and the English congregation will be back on track. And here's what I'm going to do. This will be less than five minutes. And in this presentation, you will also see why I believe that the passages that we skipped, this was the best time to take a detour. So Ezra chapter 7, verse 11, to chapter 8, verse 20, is the are the passages that we skipped over these two weeks. And actually, here's an example of what Peter is talking about when he says, speaking the oracles of God in its original context. What we see, what I'm going to show you, is how Ezra can be understood in light of its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. Ready? If you look at the charts, just zoom that in on your computer or your phone or your device, you know, make that larger. Hopefully you're back from your break. And notice the pattern. I want you to see what, what happened in the Exodus. During the Exodus, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And Pharaoh said, Moses, you can lead the people out. God, through Moses, led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then there's something called the plundering of Egypt, where God sent Israel out with all these goods and gold, and everything that they would need to start their new life. And then the law, the Torah, was given at Mount Sinai. The law was given. And then God numbered the people. There was a census taken of some sort. Then they built an altar. They built a tabernacle. And then there's a Levite rebellion. Okay, the Levites, the priesthood, the early priesthood, decided they're going to rebel. You see that pattern in Exodus? Now, remember Ezra chapter 1 and 2? I want you to see that same pattern. This is the same pattern. It is a pattern of Exodus. Cyrus, his heart wasn't hardened, but he stirred this. His heart was stirred, and he said, okay, everyone go. Israel, you can go back to Judah. You can go back to the promised land. And instead of coming out of Egypt, they're coming out of Babylonian exile. And Cyrus provides the funds. So it is a type of the plundering of Egypt, only they didn't have to plunder the funds. Cyrus provided the funds. The law is already given, but, the, but the, the people are numbered in Ezra chapter 2. So just like there's a numbering of people, right, in, in the first Exodus event, in Ezra chapter 2, there's a numbering of the people. Then there's a building of an altar. Then they rebuilt the temple. You see the pattern? 
You're, you're talking about what we see in Ezra is a new exodus. A second type of exodus. Now, you go to Ezra chapter 7 and 8, and here's why I thought that these two weeks would be the best time to take a break. is because it's the same thing that's happening that was already preached and exposited and explained in Ezra chapter 1 and 2. Look at Ezra 7 and 8. Artaxerxes decreed for this second wave of exiles to return and to go back to Jerusalem. And instead of coming out of Babylon, they're coming out of Persia. Artaxerxes provides the funds. This is a type of plundering of Egypt. And the Torah, the law, it's not Moses, it's Ezra. And Pastor Albert preached that two weeks ago. In Ezra chapter 1, verses 7 to, uh, in Ezra chapter 7, I'm sorry, verses 1 to 10, you're introduced to a true and better type of Moses figure who brings the law of God to God's people. And then the numbering of the people in Ezra chapter 8. So this is some of what we skipped over. And then there's no Levites in Ezra chapter 8, 15. It's a type of Levite rebellion. You see, all that to say, and I do encourage you to study it on your own time, but all that to say that Ezra shows us a pattern of the Exodus. And the Exodus is a paradigm of New Testament salvation. You see, what this points us towards is ultimately the true and better Exodus. Is that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus comes as the true and better Moses, a true and better Ezra. He comes and he delivers us, not from Egypt, not from Babylon, not from Persia, but he delivers us from spiritual slavery and oppression, spiritual sin. Right? He delivers us from spiritual sin. He rescues us from spiritual sin. He delivers us, and we call that our spiritual exodus. And he is our true and better deliverer. He brings the law to us. Only he's not like Moses and he's not like Ezra. He writes the law on our hearts. He's not like the Levites. He's not like the priesthood. He's the great high priest. He fulfills the temple. He fulfills the sacrifices. He fulfills the role of the great high priest. All of Ezra points towards Jesus and the new people of God. And so that is an example of proclaiming the oracles of God. You're proclaiming the Old Testament in light of its fulfillment and application in and through Jesus Christ. And it's with Christ. That's where I want to end. No better way to end but by proclaiming Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I invite you, if you're a visitor, if you're watching, to consider Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years ago, he came, he died for our sins on the cross, took our place on the cross, and God raised him from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. And if you want to trust in Jesus, I invite you now in your homes as you're listening to bow your heads and to pray with me. And so let me close this in prayer. But if you want to receive Jesus, you can do that now. I invite you to bow your heads with me. And, and I want you to pray this. Father, we're in COVID-19. And dear God, there's a lot of our, there's aspects of our lives that are impacted in many ways. And we are searching for answers. Father, we believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is the Lord, the only God. So Father, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. We confess that we are in sinners, that we are sinners in need of your sacrifice and your grace. Father, we want to repent. We want to, our hearts to turn towards you. So Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts fully towards you. Father, we want you to be our Lord. We surrender to you. Be our God. Be our Lord. Save us. And then I want you to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. 
And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to email assimilation at fcbcwalmart.org and let them know, I've just received Jesus Christ and I need some guidance. It's, if that's you, I want you to do that. Email assimilation at fcbcwalmart.org and say, I prayed the prayer. I want to receive Jesus Christ. I don't know what to do. Please help me. Please guide me. All right? And we will connect with you. We want you to worship Jesus. Now, church, will you pray with me the rest of, uh, for the rest of this prayer? And then I will end with a benediction. Father, we come before you and we are thankful for this, uh, this extended time or this little detour that we can take to talk about what it means to be the church scattered. I pray for our church. I pray that you would give us a way to gather safely, physically again. But, but for those who are worshiping at home or online, Lord, I pray that you would give them creative ways to experience the meaningful relationships of what it means to be the church. And Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We pray that we would be the church for anybody that would be asking for answers, for asking and seeking Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would be the church for one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beloved, if you could stand in your own homes, if you can join me, I'd love to pronounce a benediction for you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in God's peace. Have a blessed Sunday. We love you more than you know.